Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself when I question myself. How we might live is because this is what we believe, right? We believe that there was one God. And that because there's one God that we are made by that God, we are made in the image of that God, we, and we are made for that God. Right? And because of that, um, we also know that actually we are sinners by nature and choice, so there's a brokenness that we have which causes a separation between us and that God. See, but God, because God loves us, he sent his son Jesus in order to answer our brokenness, right? And Jesus took our brokenness and paid for our sin on the cross as he died. But we know this is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus actually resurrected, which is the best news ever, right? He resurrected so that we may have a new life in him, right? Um, he, Jesus resurrected, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and giving us new life. So we learned this last week, right, um, to where if a man... If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. Look, Jesus resurrected, so this is our model. That's where we put our hope. That's where we put our security. Um, it's what we do, what Jesus says. And Jesus didn't just show us what happens when we die. Jesus shows us how to live. So which goes back to our question, Jesus is our model for how to live. So what would Jesus do if he were me? And the way that Jesus lived his life is this. Jesus lived his life up, in, and out. Right? We learned last week that Jesus lives his life up um, to the Father, and we learned last week, hey, how do I hear from God? How do I know God's will? Um, next week, we're learning how Jesus lived his life out to the world with compassion. If you have any questions at all about like life calling or purpose in life, you definitely want to come next week. Um, but today, we're talking about Jesus living his life in. And by that, um, how did Jesus live his life in relationships with one another um, is exactly what we're going to talk about today. But to set us up, um, so many of you know this, if you've been coming to the table, I think I say this almost every week, I'm from Texas, howdy y'all. Um, so, so I grew up in the Houston area, I went to college in Waco, and then when I was 22, graduated college, and I moved to the brand new city of Dallas, Texas, where I knew nobody. Didn't know a single person, right? So I go to Dallas. I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I find, and maybe y'all know this, uh, my people. Where do I find my people, y'all? I needed a squad. I was trying to find some ride or dies. Like, where am I going to find my people? So, um, so I start, am I li I'm living in this apartment by myself um, when I started living in Dallas. And here comes this ad. You know this if you li live in an apartment. Um, you just get ads all the time for everything. A lot of, like, Asian restaurants and a lot of, like, Italian places, too. Um, I happen to get an ad for an uh, adult kickball team. So I see this ad, and I'm like, adult kickball? Man, I'm trying to find my people. Is adult kickball, like, how I want to do that? One, that sounds really lame, but two, deep down, I also know that sounds really fun. So, so I sign up for this adult kickball team. And when I'm there, um, I meet the, the captain of the team. His name is Garrett, and Garrett is awesome, right? Garrett's like, hey, man, I sell Coke. And by that, he means he was a salesman for Coca-Cola. <laughs> so he's like, I sell Coke, and do you want to ride it in my Tesla? 
True story. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, Garrett, Coke salesman, I will ride in your Tesla. At this time, Tesla is like becoming like really cool, and also like I'd always just wanted to ride in a Tesla. So I'm like, okay, is is Garrett captain of this adult kickball team? Like, is this my people? Um, at the same time, I'm working for, um, I, you know, starting my new job, and some of my coworkers, um, there are some of them are young, a lot of them are older, and I'm like, okay, like are are these my people? Um, at the same time, there's a, a young adult gathering in Dallas that I started going to, and I'm like, okay, can I find my people there? Um, where am I going to find my people as I'm trying these different things? But here's what I thought. I thought, okay, if I, here's how I thought finding my people worked. I would just show up, and then magically I would become best friends with people, and then that was it, right? So I go to kickball, and I'm like, okay, Garrett, maybe, like, he's a cool dude, maybe, um, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm going to my coworkers. I'm like, coworkers, uh, am I going to find my people? Are we best friends yet? I don't know. And then I go to this young adult gathering, and it, the first time, went to all three, it didn't work out. I'm like, okay, let me try this one more time. So I go to kickball, I go to my work, I go to this young adult gathering, and I just, I'm, and at this point, I'm getting pretty disillusioned for how finding my people works. And I realized I actually had no idea how to find my people. See, I thought that I didn't, or I realized that I didn't know what to look for and I didn't know where to look. So here's my suspicion from what I know about young adults here in Orlando, is that you too, possibly, not possibly, 100%, are trying to find your people, right? You're trying to find your people. Um, so for a lot of us, you know, we're not, I'm not from Orlando. Many of us are not from Orlando. So we got to Orlando and now we're here in Orlando and we're trying to find our people. You are trying to find your people. Perhaps you moved here for a job. Perhaps you moved here to work at Disney, right? So then you're at Disney, and then you're trying meeting Disney people, and then you're meeting people other places, and you're trying to find your people. Or maybe it wasn't Disney. Maybe it was another job. And you moved here, and you're trying to find your people. Okay, that's a lot of the room. Maybe you're from Orlando. You grew up here, right? And now just your people just feels different because now you're, you've been here long enough to know that some of the people that were your people are now no longer your people. Y'all tracking with me? So how do we process that? How do we process that? Um, but here is why um, this is so important is because we're literally talking about the creator God. This is how God designed us. God designed us with for connection connection with him and connection with others. But whenever we can't find our people, we don't feel connected. We actually feel disconnected. And we don't, we don't have our people, we feel disconnected. And here's what disconnection happens. Disconnection fuels insecurity. So a lot of times whenever we can't find our people, when you can't find your people, it leads to dis disconnection. That just leaves a lot of us just feeling really insecure. Because all of us deep down, we want to feel understood we want to feel seen, we want to feel heard, right? And whenever we feel disconnected, when we can't find our people, whenever we may feel insecure, some of us respond in a few different ways. Here's how some of us respond. Here's how I responded. I responded to be passively lonely. When I was in Dallas and I couldn't find people, I was just wallowing in my apartment by myself, and I got really good at video games, y'all. Really good. It's like Assassin's Creed, NBA 2K, come on. Now, so I just got really, that, that was my response, was like, it, I just struggled trying to find people when I first moved to Dallas, and I just responded where I was just like wallowing, just passively lonely. Now, some of you are a lot different than that. Some of you are not passively lonely. Um, some of you are actively isolated. 
sheesh, that hit real hard. <laughs> so by that I mean you know, and actually you're kind of smart. If you're actively isolated, you're, you've already picked this up. Not everybody's safe. And you've been harmed, and you've been hurt, and you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not putting myself out there in order to be hurt again. So it's not this passive lonely. It's like I'm actively setting up my walls where I can control it, and nobody can harm me anymore. And if that's you, you've done exactly what you've needed to do at this point in order to protect yourself. So for some of us, we were just actively just isolated, away from harm, away from where people can hurt us, right? And for some, we are uh, what we call uh, socially shallow. And by that, I mean, you know, these people, they have a new best friend every three months, right? So you get this one friend group and like hanging out and then that doesn't work out. And like, okay, next, uh, friend group doesn't hang out. Okay, new group of people, one for now, and then move just bouncing from friend group to 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 friend group, to friend group never truly finding their people. Um, some of us are socially shallow. So here's the question, where do you find your people? Where do you find your people? So in Mark, um, Jesus actually gives us a model for how he considers his people. So if you have your Bible, it's going to be in Mark chapter 3. It'll be on the screens here. Also, oh, this screen's awesome. Like behind. Cool. It's real big. Uh, Mark chapter 3, um, where we're going to look at Jesus as a model for how he considers his people. Right? So to set up this context, so Jesus at this point, um, Jesus is getting like uber famous right? People are finding out about him. He is just going off and just like people are like, he's becoming this like massive celebrity in this region. So people are coming from all over the crowd to hear him, right? Because he's like dropping truth bombs. People are like, oh my gosh, that's a truth bomb. Like mind blown. He's also going and healing people. So people are coming to listen to him speak. People are coming to just to to find healing. Um, All these people are coming to, to hear him. Right? And also, um, this is, if you grew up in church, you maybe have heard like Jesus and the disciples. Yes, it's very true. Um, but also, this doesn't get talked about a lot if you grew up in church. There was like lots of people around Jesus almost all the time. Right? Just like massive crowds over and over and over again. So what were the disciples? The disciples, essentially, there was 12, um, and eventually there were more, more Jesus followers later. But the disciples were essentially um, people that were for Jesus. But we also know that there was another group of people that were against Jesus. And those are oftentimes called the scribes and the Pharisees. So, just, so I'm just setting the scene that Jesus is here as like amazing Lord and Savior, master teacher. Um, there's lots of people around him. But people, even though there's lots of people around him, some people are for him and some people are against him. And Jesus has to deal with that all the time. Wouldn't you find that stressful? I would find that a little stressful. Jesus handles it literally perfectly though. Um, so... Let's read in Mark chapter 3. Um, and when his family heard it, right? So essentially he's saying, um, hey, when his family, the people that were literally biological family of Jesus, when they heard what he was doing, when they heard him teaching, when they heard what he was doing, um, um, they went out to seize him. Wow, that was a plot twist. <laughs> Jesus' literal biolo- biological family went to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind, Right? Jesus' literal family was saying, Jesus, you're crazy. You are out of your mind. And they went to stop him from doing what he was doing. Jesus' biological family, not for Jesus at this, at this moment. They're actually very, very against Jesus, right? And also, this is just a, a side subnote. Um, if you grew up in a Catholic tradition, um, maybe you've heard that uh, Jesus didn't have any siblings. Um, Catholic tradition teaches that along with some other faith traditions. Um, I don't believe that, but if you believe that, we can still be cool in the setting. Cool? 
cool. Okay, so I'm just assuming that um, Jesus had um, biological siblings. Okay, so uh, his family thought it was crazy. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. Okay, so what's going on here? Okay, so we just set up. We read earlier in verse 21, his family thought it was crazy. They're trying to stop him from what he's doing, right? But Jesus had really healthy boundaries. Here's essentially what's going on. Jesus' literal mom is saying, Jesus, hey, Jesus, I need to see you right now. Are you going to call your mother, right? Can, are you, can, you, can, I, can I see you right now? Can I come over right now? And Jesus had really healthy boundaries where he did not let his literal mother prevent him from doing what he needed to do, right? Um, we need to beware, this is where I'm transitioning to us, modeling Jesus, we need, to be really, we need to beware of people trying to keep us from what God has called us to do, right? We just need to be, beware even our own literal families at times will prevent us or try to stop us from doing what God has called us to do, right? So imagine this, um, you know, imagine Jesus' mom was like, hey, Jesus, are you coming home for Thanksgiving? All right? And Jesus was like, no, mother, I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving. I need to go do God's will and save the world. And Jesus' mother says, hey, well, I'm your mother. I gave birth to you. Why aren't you coming home for Thanksgiving? You need to come home for Thanksgiving, Jesus. And Jesus is like, mom, hey, look, yes, we can be cool. I love you, but I got I to go do this thing, right? Um, for a lot of us, I think that um, we can some of the pressure that we feel with, with, with family and biological family, um, sometimes it f- makes us feel very discouraged because it seems like the counsel at times um, that we're getting from biological family is just very different than the counsel that we're getting from what we know that God has called us to do, right? And we leave those conversations with family just feeling um, very discouraged. So here's what, here's what I want to say. Not everyone understands the Jesus life. Not everyone understands the Jesus life, right? So even, not even biological family. Maybe you had some, like, uh, ride or dies that you made when you were six years old, like blood oaths, right? And you're like, you know what? We're going to be with each other forever. We're going to be loyal, right? Some of us, like, love the idea of being loyal, being loyal to our friends, and we're just in it, right? And um, so either relationships that we're born into, these lifelong relationships, and we're like, hey, no matter what, like, I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm in it. And then we start following Jesus, and then we just start getting really confused because people that we promised to be a ride or die to, like, way early on, now, like, we just notice our lives being very different. And as we notice our lives being different, um, we start getting backlash from these people that said that they were, like, our friend forever. And we're just, like, really confused about that. Not everyone understands the Jesus life. I'll keep reading. Verse 33. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. So here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is redefining family, right? So these people are saying, hey, Jesus, your family wants to see you. And Jesus goes real philosophical where he goes, hmm, who is my family? Who are my brother? Who who is my mother, right? Um, So he asks a question, and really he's trying to prove a point where he says, hey, look, the people around me, this is my mother, this is my brothers, these are my sisters, this is my family. What, what Jesus does is he redefines family between biological family and spiritual family, right? 
biological family and spiritual family because whenever, um, for those of us that have put a new life in Christ, that we are a new creation, and then we're like raised again, we'll be raised again with Christ, we're putting our faith and our trust in Christ, um, we know that we have a new identity, right? We literally get, think about almost like this, like you get a new last name. So your, my name is, uh, my, as my parents call me, Isaac Tomas Trevino, right, in Spanish, that's what my parents call me. Um, but now I'm no longer Isaac Tomas Trevino, although I am, but really I'm like Isaac Tomas, Jesus follower, right? Because when I, when I start following Jesus, I get a new identity. And, I, and with that, I get a new last name, right? And my, my last name is Jesus follower. My last name is Christian, right? So, so with that, uh, we are adopted into the family of God because of that. With our new identity, with God the Father, now we become sons and daughters of this new family, this really amazing thing that we get to be a part of, and now we get um, this really incredible relationship now like with, with God the Father. Let's say this as we're talking about biological family and spiritual family. Um, your biological family can be part of your spiritual family. It can but it depends. Um, no, it doesn't really depend. Um, it really hinges on um, how we're defining a spiritual family. So how does Jesus define family? He defines family this way in verse 35, where he says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother, right? He's saying, hey, look, this is my family. My family are those that are doing God's will. Those, these people that are around me, these people that are doing God's will, this is now my family, Right? I also love the way that, so the, the gospel author Luke gives a parallel account of the story um, where he says this, um, the way that he says it, but he answered them, so Jesus is talking, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. We talked about this last week, it's the same thing, right? My mother and brothers are those that hear the word of God and do it. So really, we can consider family as those that hear and do God's will. As we're considering family, as we're considering people um, that were that were the, our people, right? If we're saying, "Hey, look," if we're saying that we have a new life in Christ, if we're saying that we have a new identity in Christ, if we're saying that um, uh, we are we're part of this new family thing going on, and we're defining family as hearing and doing God's will, as we're considering our people, if you are hearing and doing God's will, your people are also hearing and doing God's will. Let me say that one more time. If you are hearing and doing God's will, your people are also hearing and doing God's will. So now, hearing and doing God's will becomes the, the only thing that we consider when it comes to our people, right? Because we have a new last name. Um, my wife and I, uh, we love watching uh, this TV show called Survivor. If you know me, you know this. And um, one of the things about Survivor is they have um, these things called challenges. And a challenge is essentially um, this competition among people that are playing the game. So one of the challenges um, is called a blindfold challenge, to where somebody will be blind, like um, the team that's playing, so they're separated into different teams, and the team that's playing uh, will be blindfolded. Um, and then there's one person who's not blindfolded who's called the caller. So the caller essentially stands up like on this perch thing and starts calling out to the blindfolded people on the team. So if you're part of the team that's blindfolded, all you have to do is listen to the caller who's telling you where to go. 
right? So it's, it's kind of hilarious because then now you have these blindfolded people that, uh, you know, they're trying to listen to the caller, but they start like running into things and like they're just like, you know, my wife and I are just like laughing, like, ha ha ha, they just ran into that thing. Um, but eventually, you know that you're part of the same team because you're listening to the same caller. So you end up at the same spot of the person who's also on your team because they too are listening to the same caller. The reason I say that is because I think some of us, for some of the relationships that we've had before in the past, we thought that we were listening to the same caller. But as we keep moving forward following Jesus and somebody ends up way differently in a completely different spot on the other side of the field than where we are right now and we're wondering, why is that? Why is that going on? I thought we were tracking in the same direction. Here's what's going on. You're realizing that you're listening to a different caller. You're listening to a different voice, right? So for those of us who know this, a lot of us have been following Jesus and moving forward and taking really, really amazing steps, just going forward and forward and hearing God and doing what he says and hearing God and doing what he says. And then we like have these relationships that we've had before that we thought were our people. And we're like, why aren't we, are you coming with me? Are you not? And now we feel tension because either we keep moving forward or we stop moving forward to hang out with who historically has been our people. And that causes tension in us. So we can either stay or we keep moving forward and finding our true people, our true family, the people that are hearing from God and doing what he says, right? Um, for some of us, we've had these like really meaningful experiences. Perhaps you've even uh, come to the table um, and you've had a really meaningful experience here at the table and then you want to talk about it and you want to like discuss it with people and that you're just trying to find out people and you realize that some people who perhaps, perhaps have even come with you um, but don't really want to discuss it and don't really want to put it into practice, these things that you're really trying to put um, into practice, right? But we know that our people are people that are hearing from God and doing what he says. Um, and we'll, as we're doing that, um, we're going to find a lot of unity in that. It's really cool. Um, perhaps... Um, uh, as we're considering just your people, you, you like kind of spiritual things and you like hearing from God and you're trying to practice kind of putting on what he says, but then you show up at a church and then you realize, whoa, there's like a different language going on. And they seem to be like praying and I don't know how to pray like that. And there seem, people just seem to know like all these Bible verses and I don't really know these Bible verses. And people just seem to listen to the same music and just kind of like everyone just seems to kind of talk the same language. And I feel um, like, an, like an outsider. I don't know if I belong here. I'm trying this on. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I belong. And look, if you truly are trying to hear from God and do what he says, and if even if you don't really know what that means, but you're just trying your best, keep going. Keep going, because what I described is what I call Christian culture, and you're not going to find your people in Christian culture. You're not going to find your people, and like, oh, you listen to Hillsong, I listen to Hillsong. Maybe, that's not the metric. Oh, you, you read this Bible verse, I read this Bible verse. Oh, you know, like, all these, like, Christian things, I know, like, look, that's not the metric. The metric is not presenting yourself as a Christian. That's not the metric. Here is the metric, truly hearing from God and doing what he says. And if you are truly hearing from God and doing what he says, you will find your people, right? And as we do that, as you find your people, right, that are hearing from God and doing what it says, we feel connected. And as we feel connected, we get security. Here's the big idea. Security is found in spiritual family. 
Security is found in spiritual family, right? We know this. Orlando is a city of lost children that are looking for a home. Many of us, if you grew up in Orlando, if you moved here to Orlando, this is just fundamentally true about the city of Orlando for whatever reason. Um, Orlando is a city of lost children that are looking for a home, right? And many of us know this. Many of us feel this. And we're trying to find, we're trying to find a home. And our previous response may have been, okay, I'm looking for a home, and I think I'm going to find it with seasonal flaky friends. (laughs) That hit. Um, (laughs) But, man, Jesus has so much better for you than trying to fill your lack of connection with seasonal feel-good flaky friends. Here's what Jesus wants for you. Jesus wants to give you a family. And that's what we're trying to do here at the table, is we want to give you a family. Hey, we're not the only spiritual family here in Orlando. There's a lot of amazing kind of localized versions of spiritual family here in Orlando. But we're saying, hey, look, first Orlando, the table, what we're trying to do here, this is what we're trying to do, is that we know that our ultimate security is found in Jesus, and we know that Jesus wants to give us a spiritual family. So we can remind ourselves um, of that. Um, as we're following Jesus, hearing from God and doing what he says, right? Um, so I was talking with uh, one of our young adults um, re- recently this week, and as we were talking about this idea of security and family and kind of this, and um, this person said this, um, when I found security, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I liked how it made me feel, Right? When this person, brand, brand new Christian, when this person was exploring Christianity, was trying it on, was saying, I think this is right, I want to keep moving forward, and for the first time in her life, started surrounding herself by Christ followers, by really amazing Christians that were hearing from God and doing what, he, doing what he says. She had no idea what was going on, but here's what she knew, I need to be with those people, right? When I found security, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I liked how it made me feel, Right? I was talking to another young adult and, um, who said, has been in Orlando here for a few years, um, and the young adult said this, once I had a stable family, my world changed. Once I found security, once I found stability, my world changed. Big idea. Security is found in spiritual family. So here's what happens, whenever you ha- here's what happens when you have a family. A few things happen when you have a family. It's incredible. Here's the first thing that happens. When you consider relationships the way that Jesus considered relationships and you consider spiritual relationships as family, it changes how we deal with conflict. We deal with conflict differently, right? Here's, you know, your feel-good seasonal flaky friends. You have one, um, you have one argument where, like, I don't like the color blue and you're wearing the color blue. We're done. And you never talk to them again and you're just done with that relationship, Right? But what does family do? Family says, hey, talk to me about this color blue that you're wearing. I'm just really curious, like, like what, what's going on here, right? Or, hey, um, okay, I'll use a real example. Hey, uh, <laughs> um, uh, some of you blue purists in the room were like, that was a great example. Uh, perhaps it's like, hey, you made that comment, and... Um, that I, that didn't sit well with me. Can we talk through this? Hey, I know you didn't mean it to. I know you didn't mean it like that. But let me just let me tell you what I heard. This is what I heard. Is that what you meant? Oh no, that's not what you meant. Oh my gosh! Wow, that changes everything. When we have family, it changes how we deal with conflict. Right? We don't need to burn bridge every time we have conflict. Right? There's one blow up and we're like, I'm done with you, we're done. And then what do we do? Typically we're like, hey, look, I had conflict with this person and you're with me, you can't be friends with them anymore. 
But look, when we have family, we all deal with this, right? We deal with conflict um, differently. Um, Number two, whenever we have family, uh, we encourage hearing and doing. When you have family, you encourage hearing and doing, right? You encourage people not to just like go off and do whatever is going to make them feel good or like, oh, I can't, I can't tell them that. Like that may hurt their feelings. Look, family, you tell each other the truth, right? With love. And telling each other the truth in love is not telling somebody what to do. It's asking somebody, hey, what does God say about that? Hey, have you considered what God might say in this situation? And if this is what God is saying, what might God want you to do in that, right? Family, we love each other enough to encourage each other to hear and do what God wants us to do. Uh, Number three, I think you'll like this. We know what to look for in family members. Right? For some of us, we've been trying to like find people and find my people and find my people and we don't know where to look and we don't know how to look and then we keep, we're like, man, why do I keep ending up with the most terrible people ever? When we start hearing and doing, when we start really moving forward and being part of our spiritual family and being part of the family of God, our discernment, our filter for how we choose people like radically changes. We're now, we're not just like, oh, you said hi to me? Great, I'll go with you. That's easy. Right? Because some people are out to hurt you. And some people are out to hurt you intentionally. And some people end up hurting you unintentionally. But even people that may be unintentional, look, if there's just like a lot of like inconsistency, that is not a good person to be with, right? If you're with somebody and you're like, are they for me or you are they against me? Are they for me or are they against me? Are they for me or are they against me? Let me answer let me answer that for you. They're against you. If you don't know where you stand with somebody, if you constantly feel like discouraged, hang with them, and some days are good, and some days are bad, and some days are good, and some days are bad, and some days are good, and some days are bad, it's not good. That's not family, right? Family is consistent. Not every day is perfect, but it's consistently encouraging, consistently life-giving. When we have a family, we know what to look for in family members, right? And number four, as we're wrapping up, when we have a family, we have family ownership, so what, what do I mean by that? I mean, I want to talk about the difference between a restaurant and a family dinner. Okay, so imagine you go to a restaurant, and you show up, and you're like, you know, you're scrolling, you're scrolling at all the different, like, restaurant options that there are, right? You're scrolling, and then you say, okay, I like, this restaurant has a, has a DJ. I like that music, right? So I'm going to go to this restaurant because of that DJ. And then you're like, man, I really like um, the, the, the meals that are served, right? Um, I think the chef is funny. I like, I like the meals that are served, right? Um, and then, you know, we, uh, the wait staff is really good. And, and then we're just like, serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. And if I don't like this restaurant experience, one, I'm not tipping. And two, which is terrible. You should always tip, um, no matter what. Uh, uh, you, you have a bad restaurant experience. What do you do? <laughs> Whatever. I'll just go on to the next restaurant, Right? That's not family. Here's what a family dinner is. A family dinner is you're showing up, you're setting up, you're bringing a dish, you have ownership, you're helping clean up. Look, Aunt Betty, darn it, she did her best cooking that casserole. And it's not the best, but man, we love Aunt Betty, right? So we're just like going to eat this casserole with passion. We're going to encourage Aunt Betty, and we're going to say, hey, Aunt Betty, this was, you did so good job making this casserole. Here's what I would do differently next time, right? <laughs> uh. So we have family ownership, right, Whenever, when it comes to a, a family dinner. And the reason I mention that is because I think for some of us, that's how we consider spirituality in, like, church families, right? To where we'll just go to a church, to a church gathering, to consume and consume and consume and consume. And what can this church do for me? What can this spiritual gathering do for me, 
right? Versus when we consider it as a family, like this is my family, I belong here, we have the same last name, I'm not just consuming anymore, I'm actually contributing. It completely changes how we think through family, right? And we know that some of us are guests, which is incredible, we love having guests, but man, here's, what, here's what's better than just a guest. It's a family member. It's to plug in and contribute and feel like you're not just a guest, you're not just an outsider visiting a restaurant, you're a family member who has a nameplate on the seat there at the table with us. I would love that. If you're curious about that, if you're curious about having family here, right, if you're curious, um, next week we're doing this thing called a table backstage where you can learn everything there is to learn um, about what it means to be a family member here at First Orlando and here um, at the table. Um, so to, uh, to wrap up our time, I actually want to uh, tell a story, but I'm actually not going to tell a story. I'm actually going to interview a story. So we're going to hear from our very good friend, Dana Fricker, as she shares her story. Where are you at, Dana? So help me introduce Dana. Thanks, y'all. Dana, how are you? Thomas, I got the cushion chair. Oh, you got the cushion chair. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad I could serve you. Because when you're family, you serve each other. That was really prideful of me to say. Real bit. It's fine. <laughs> a little bit. We'll allow it. Hi, guys. Uh, how are you? How are you today? I'm doing well. I don't like talking about myself, so I'm oh, anxious. Oh, man, this is going to be real awkward for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is, it's fine. All right, so Dana, so we're talking about, you know, the big idea is, um, you know, security is found in a spiritual family. And just as we were talking um, offline, uh, we were just talking about how you've just been radically changed by the spiritual family that you've been able to have and Jesus doing that. But, but to set all this up, so you're not from Orlando. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, so I'm from Pennsylvania. Is anybody else from Pennsylvania? Yay! Hi, guys. Oh, Austin, yes. So home of the Amish. I'm not Amish, <laughs> but we have, they make really good food. So 10 out of 10 recommend. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm from Pennsylvania, not from Orlando. Um, it's funny, you were talking about the, um, the ways we kind of deal with not having community, and for me it was the isolation. So I think of Pennsylvania, Dana, as like isolated. Um, I had like friends, but you know, you need friends so that people think you have friends and you have things to do with but like you keep them this far away so that they don't know anything about you and they can't hurt you and nobody really understands me anyway, so why would I trust them? So I'm hardcore the like grew up the isolation one. Tough skin. Tough skin. Okay, you did what you needed to do. I did. Yeah. I was a scrappy kid. <laughs> that's, good. that's a good word. Uh, so, so, so you grew up there in Pennsylvania and then eventually you ended up here in Orlando um, and, and then you were here in the year 2018? Yeah, 2018 was rough. Was it? Yeah. Talk well, it started rough. Okay. So I, um, classic story, moved down here in 2017 to work for Disney. Um, like, yes, I can be obedient to God. I had been following Jesus for a while, but like saying yes to Jesus was a whole nother thing. And so I had stayed down here in 2017. I was like, I'm going to go back home to Pennsylvania. It'll be fine. And then um, 2018, like January 1st hits and God's like, I want you in Orlando. And I'm like, Whew, okay, cool. I can do this. I can say yes. Um, so I signed a year-long lease to live in Orlando, and I was like, this will be fine. My Disney college program had just ended. I was like, obviously, Disney's going to hire me back. Obviously, obviously I'm going to have best friends. <laughs> Everything's going to be great. Um, like five days into January 2018, and um, Disney did not hire me back. Um, I had signed a lease, and all my friends moved back to where they were from, so I had zero friends in Orlando. Um, my car also broke down, and I was broke because... It was, I was always broke back then, but <laughs> so it was uh, rough to say the least. I felt very 
isolated, anxious, and just alone in the world and hopeless. But something interesting happened to where you got invited to go on a retreat. Yes. So talk to us about that retreat. Yes. So I went to, we had a young adult retreat here at the table, and I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, and ha it was about the Enneagram. If you know anything about the Enneagram, you either love it or you hate it. But for me, what I took away from that was I got to learn about specifically my brokenness and how Jesus designed me. And the, um, even more than that, um, everyone else's brokenness. I had realized that the reason I didn't like friends and value friendships was because that I expected everyone to be just like me. And when I realized that God created so many different types of people with so many different types of brokenness and that it was okay that I was different, I could love them for who they were. And that just like shook me. Hmm. So what, so you, okay, so you, this is, sounds like an amazing retreat. It was great. Were you, yeah, you were there. I met you there. We met, I think I yeah. met you there, yeah. Uh, so what, okay, so this amazing awareness starts happening in you. So what happens after the retreat? Um, so I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to keep saying yes to things. I started getting plugged in, um, going to life group. Actually, I didn't even realize this, but Jay. That Jay? <laughs> yeah, that Jay right there um, was one of my first life group leaders. Her and Summer just kind of took me under their wings. This was unplanned. Jay. She took me on my first coffee date um, and just loved me well and loved me well and just cared for me. Um, so yeah, I just said yes. I started going to groups. Some of them were great. Some of them were awkward. Um, I'm not a social person, so just having to be around people was rough, but I knew that I couldn't do this whole thing alone, so I was like, I'll just keep trying. So this theme of, um, so you said your car broke down, yes. and that was the only time? No, my car broke down a lot. Oh. <laughs> it was what, like... Uh, Every three months, is that fair? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Christine's driven me quite a few places. Um, but yes. Uh, so, theme that followed. Um, fast forward 20, even 2019. I'm like, I'm going to buy a new car because then my car can't break down and then I don't need people because, you know, that's how that works. Um, Christmas 2020. I don't know if you all know this, but nothing is open on Christmas. So, I'm driving on Christmas Day and I get a nail in my tire. Mm. Which I'm like, oh, this is fine, because I'm a strong, independent woman, and I know how to change a tire. Yeah. It's great. Except, they didn't tell you this, there's something weird about my Ford tires, <laughs> where we had three different, the crowbar things? Yeah. None of them fit. Thomas, who just brought out our stools, came with like a whole toolkit, didn't work. We called three different people with like tow trucks, AAA, nothing. They couldn't get it. So I had spent five hours on Christmas Day um, in a situation that three years ago would have felt isolating and lonely and hopeless and awful. And I was silently crying because I felt so loved in that parking lot because the thing that changed four years later was that I had like six different people spend that day with me um, on Christmas Day in a Panda Express parking lot. <laughs> It was the most, like, as an acts of service person, just seeing people who are willing to compromise their needs and their wants to just be with me and, like, help me was just the best thing ever. And on top of that, so five hours in Panda Express, we obviously got egg rolls at the end, and then <laughs> had a, invited me over a proper Christmas dinner, and then, like, hot chocolate cookies, the whole shebang. Mm. I felt very loved. Sounds like family. It was family. Yeah. So what, what does that look like? What do relationships look like for you now? What does family look like for you now? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I've, for me, family, I've learned is just, it's 
showing up. It's the people that, um, like Isaac said, I'm hearing from God and doing what he says, but they're also hearing from God and doing what he says and driving me to be a better version of myself and are just my spiritual family, welcoming me in, um, doing life together. And it's that commitment. It's the being okay to fight. It's the, yeah, the ride or die. Mm. So, but you, I'll I'll share this by Dana. Not only do you have like spiritual family, like with a lot of people here, you also um, do such a good job creating family for others. Thanks, Isaac. I try. Yeah. Yeah. You got you got to. Thanks, guys. Those are all the people that have given me car rides. Because <laughs> I, I think, Dan, you just do such a good job, just like as you talked about, just like conflict, as you talked about, just encouraging people to I hear and conflict. do. Um, just just your discernment, just like in family members. Um, and um, just with, I think, we've, if you've been coming to the table for a while, you know, you see Dana um, every week. I'm um, just with the, the role that you have here and doing such an amazing job. I'm um, just creating a home for people and inspiring all of us to do a, such a good job creating a home for people um, with Jesus as King. So, Thanks, Isaac. Good job. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going um, to pray, just, uh, as a t- and then we're going to sing as a time of response, and we're gonna, just going to run it back. I just couldn't, we were talking about it as a team. We just couldn't think of a, a better song to sing together um, than our Father's house. Just, and I would encourage you, I'm sure um, Lucas will set up, um, just consider, really considering what the song is actually saying and not just like singing along, but I'll pray for us. Father, man, we're just so glad that you are dad and we get to be your kids. But we're also glad that we're not our kids by ourselves. We get to be your kids together. God, and I'm grateful um, that uh, you show us and you gave us your son Jesus as a model for what it looks like to be family. So I'm praying for all of us that we feel encouraged um, to to spur each other on, um, to hear, hear from you, God, and do what you say. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.